So this morning, we are continuing on our series concerning worship. And as we're going through this, it's, um, there's a lot of ground that we're covering, a lot of different things that we're, we're talking about. In the context of what we are talking about is worship in spirit and in truth. And so, uh, our text today is going to be Leviticus chapter 1, and it's going to be the first two verses. Um, but from that verse, it's really, we're going to springboard and we're going to talk about worship but specifically sacrifice, the sacrifice of worship in spirit and in truth. We're going to talk about how worship, our worship, involves sacrifice. And we're going to define that, we're going to talk about that um, in a specific context. There are, there are three works... Um, other than the Bible that I have been reading, I've read, I've read two of these already prior to starting this because this is something that I've, the Lord has put on my heart, um, but it's kind of a daunting task. You know, one day we're going to teach through the book of Leviticus. That's a very daunting task, and I'm not ready to do that at this point. But um, Leviticus is, is a book that we will pull from um, much as we go through the series and specifically as we talk about our form or our liturgy of worship. Remember, um, last week I drew your attention to our, our bulletin, and in that bulletin, let's look at that again. Because I just want to, I want to redraw your attention to that. So we have five parts that represent our order of service. God calls us. That's the call. So we worship God because God has called us to worship Him. And every Lord's Day when we begin worship, we begin with a call to worship because that's what God does. He calls us to worship Him. And, and you did not not go into the presence of the Lord if God didn't call you. And there's not only a time to go in, but there's a way to go in. Uh, we won't look at this specifically right now, but we know the sons of Aaron offered worship in a strange way, and the Lord struck them and killed them because it was not according to the pattern that He had given to Moses and to Aaron. Then God cleanses us. So the first thing we do is we come into worship when God calls us, and then God cleanses us. This is why we confess our sins. This is why we kneel in humility before the Lord, either whether we kneel on our knees or whether we kneel in our hearts, in our minds. We humble ourselves before God, and we confess our sins, and we ask God to forgive us, to cleanse us. 
This is pictured in the order of worship when the priest would first offer their own sacrifices for themselves and cleanse themselves before they offered it for the people. And then we have the assurance of pardon. That when we confess our sins to Jesus, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we come to this part of the service, which is called consecration. We're going to talk specifically about this today in terms of sacrifice, the sacrifice of worship. And, uh, and then after that, there is communion or there is the peace offering. And there is a meal that we have with God, which signifies that we have peace with him. He has invited us to his table to sup with him. And every week when we come to this table to eat the bread and drink the cup, we are reminded of his grace and we are reminded that the covenant that is made with him has been renewed. And then God sends us out. We are charged. We are commissioned to go out and to do what he has commanded us to do, to make disciples to be witnesses to him, to be salt and light in this world. And so this is, this is the context of what we're talking about in terms of worship. In his thesis on worship, James Jordan says this about biblical worship. Biblical worship is God's renewing the covenant with his people. God renews his covenant by sacrifice, and so worship is sacrificial. And one of the disciples of James Jordan is a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Myers. Jeffrey Myers writes about worship in his book titled, The Lord's Service. And Jeffrey Myers says this, Christian worship is sacrificial. When we say Christian worship is covenant renewal worship, we mean that it takes the form of sacrifice and offering. So there is much more to say about this than we can possibly cover in one or even in several sermons. Uh, so I'm not going to try to go in depth today, but I want to, to cover some very basic things to help us understand there is a biblical reason, there is a biblical reason for our form of worship or our liturgy of worship. That's really what this is about. And we're going to look at some scriptures. We, we hear words, service, uh, and it's where we get our word liturgy from. And so liturgy is not a dirty word um, at all. In fact, the Bible has much to say about it that we should pay attention to. And so what we want to do is cover some very basic things to help us have a basic understanding, a foundational understanding, that there is a biblical reason for our form or liturgy of worship. Sacrifice is basic. It's basic to worship. It plays an essential part in the form or the liturgy of our worship that we offer to God. So our text today, Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak 
to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. This is the word of the Lord. Father, take your word today and use it to consecrate us, to restructure us, to reorder us, that we would be a sweet-smelling aroma, holy and acceptable to you. Let that be our reasonable form, our reasonable liturgy of worship, the offering up of ourselves to you. Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, mold us and shape us and conform us to the very image of Jesus Christ, to be light in the midst of darkness, to be salt in this world that has lost its seasoning, that has lost its flavor. Father, let your church, let your church be the salt that is salty enough to make a difference in this world, that is light enough to make a difference in the darkness of this world. We pray this for your church, your greater church, your universal church, but we absolutely, most certainly, and specifically pray it for this church, Christ Fellowship Church, that we would be that, Lord, in every sphere of influence that you have blessed us to have. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to do this uh, quickly. I want to uh, give you just a little bit of context to Leviticus chapter 1 that I just read to you. If we were to back up to Exodus chapter 40, at the end of Exodus, the children of Israel are in the wilderness. They're at Mount Sinai, and they have built the tabernacle in all of its furnishings. And they've done it in less than a year. In fact, they've done it in about six months, which is really miraculous. We talked a little bit about this on our Wednesday night study of the timeline. The, way, the reason they were able to do that is because you had thousands upon thousands of skilled cra people, craftsmen, coming out of Egypt who spent centuries honing those crafts. And then when they left Egypt, the Egyptians gave them everything. They gave them all the gold, all the silver, all the bronze. They gave them fabrics. They gave them everything they would need, wood, everything they would need to build the tabernacle. And God arranged all of that. God in his sovereignty did that. Now, they get the tabernacle erected. They get it finished. The furnishings are all there. And in Exodus chapter 40... Verse 33, it says, And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar. That's that curtain that makes the courtyard. He raised it up and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. So the work is finished. The tabernacle is up. Verse 34, Then... When the work was finished, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
Why didn't Moses go in when it was finished? Like when we finished the house? Come on, let's go. Well, I want you to all see the house that we just finished. Now, when the house was finished, when the tabernacle was finished, the Bible says the cloud of God's glory came down and Moses was unable to enter the tabernacle. So when did Moses go into the tabernacle? Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. Now, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. He went in when God said, you can come. You can enter. He went in when God called him to draw near. This is important for us. It's why we have a call to worship every week. We're going to talk more about that. We're going to talk about each of those specific pieces. But today, I want to focus on talking to you about the sacrifice of worship in spirit and in truth. So the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle, commanding Moses to command the children of Israel that whenever anyone draws near, you are to bring your offering of the herd or of the flock. In other words, bring an animal for sacrifice. This is God's command concerning worship. So our worship of God involves sacrifice. I want to look at the relationship between worship and sacrifice. In the Old Covenant, there is a distinct relationship between the worship of God and the sacrifice and offering. In fact, we could say that the worship of God is in the form of sacrifice and offering. The pattern for New Testament worship is the tabernacle. I don't know if you realize that or not. A lot of people say the pattern for New Testament worship is the synagogue. And there was much we took from the synagogue system that was established centuries before Jesus was born and the New Testament church was birthed. But if you read the New Testament and you look at the language the writers of the New Testament use, it's not the language of the synagogue. It's the language of the tabernacle. In in, in all different ways. It fills the New Testament pages. So the pattern of New Testament worship is the tabernacle. Sacrifice and offering is central to worship in the tabernacle. It is through sacrifice the worshiper draws near to God. Thus, biblical worship, worship in spirit and truth, takes the form of sacrifice and offering. It is through sacrifice that God renews the covenant, and it is through the covenant that God relates to his people. So this is important for us to to get, to understand. God relates to us through covenant. You might say, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, when we talk about covenant renewal in worship, We might start by talking about the fact that God relates to his people through covenant. Simply put, God's personal relations with us take the form of covenant. Jeffrey Myers, in his book, The Lord's Service, points out that there are no simple, clean-cut, or succinct definitions of covenant. 
That means covenant, the covenant God has, that God has entered in with us, the covenant with us, with his people, is much more than a legal contract or a legal agreement. Sometimes we say, well, the covenant, covenant's like a contract. Well, there's aspects of it that is like that, but it's much more than a contract. Well, the, con- the covenant is an agreement between God and someone. Yes, it is an agreement between God and someone, but it's much, much, much more than just an agreement. The covenant God establishes with us is much deeper and much richer than we can imagine. And I believe we should try to imagine just how rich and just how deep that it is, even if we cannot. What I'm saying is the breadth, the depth, the richness of the covenant is more than we can imagine. You can't imagine it. But God invites us to try. He commands us to go through his word and learn and search and dig and let that richness and let that depth inform us about the relation we have with our God. Meyer points out that the Bible uses the word covenant over 300 times in the Old and the New Testaments to describe the way in which God relates to his people. So the truth is our relationship with God is most certainly personal. It is. But the covenant relationship we have with God is much more nuanced than simply calling it personal. The word nuanced means multi-layered. There's a richness, a layering. Peel back one layer, oh, there's another one. Well, gosh, I didn't know that was there. Peel back that layer, oh, there's another one. That's the way the covenant is. That's why there's not a simple definition for it. And the covenant is fills the pages of Scripture. And God made covenant with person after person after person. And we are in covenant with God now in Jesus Christ. So it is most certainly personal because we like to talk a lot about our personal relationship with God. And we very often say, you need a personal relationship with Jesus. And then the response very often is, well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and that's all I need. And in a sense, that's true. That is all you need. But if you think that's all there is to it, then you have misunderstood the nature of the relationship you actually are in with God, because it's much more than just you and God against the world. When we talk about the personal relationship we have with God, there seems to be a wide range of ideas about what that means. So in my years as a Christian, I came to faith in Christ in 1984, and I've been in ministry for a few years now. I've heard it said that Jesus is my homeboy. I've heard it said that Jesus is my best friend. I've even sang about it. And I'm not saying he's not. I've read best-selling books about God the Father playing a grand game of chase and hide-and-seek with us. And by the way, he always lets us win. I've read books and I've heard sermons preached by friends of mine and acquaintances of mine. 
Implying that God the Spirit gets his feelings hurt because we put too much emphasis on Jesus. And that every morning we should say, good morning, Holy Spirit. So that he doesn't get his feelings hurt. All of this being centered in the idea of this intense, personal, and emotional relationship God has with us. I certainly do not dispute the reality that we have a personal relationship with God. We absolutely do. That is, in fact, absolutely correct. But it is not the fact of that relationship, but the nature of that relationship we should consider. The nature of God's personal relations with his people is in the form of covenant. Covenant is more than a formal personal relationship with God. The covenant is the form or the shape of the personal relationship we have with God. It's the form. It's the shape of that relationship. It defines that relationship. The fact that God does not give us a simple sentence definition of covenant would indicate that he wants us to explore the vast depth and the vast breath and the multidimensional nature of the covenant. The covenant that God wants us to explore is not just hidden treasure. Remember the proverb? It's the honor of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. And we talk about the Bible being this, this book, this revelation that has concealed in it priceless gems. And we're to have the honor, we're given the honor to go and dig those out and find them. And, and then, you know, we picture finding these priceless gems and we put them in our pocket, right? And they become part of our life. I don't want you to think of the covenant that way. The covenant's not some gem we find hidden in the scriptures. It's, it's much greater than that. Keeping with this metaphor that the scripture gives us, the covenant that God wants us to explore is not just a hidden treasure, a hidden gem. He's concealed in his word. It's more like a vast vein of gold that mysteriously and eternally runs throughout his word. The mysterious and the vast richness of covenant defines the essence of his nature and his relationship to his people. In all that surrounds the covenant, we see from Scripture that the sacrifice, that sacrifice and offering are a central part of the covenant relationship we have with God. So it's through sacrifice that God renews His covenant. For example, in Genesis 6.18, there are lots of examples. We could spend days talking about them, but I've just picked one here for you. In Genesis 6.18, we see God establish a covenant with Noah. So God says to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you, Noah. And then God tells him. He establishes the covenant, and then he tells Noah what's happening in the world and what he is getting ready to do to the world. Then God commands Noah to build an ark for the salvation of him and his family for the floodwaters that God will bring upon the earth to destroy it and all that live on the earth except those who are in the ark of salvation. This is recorded for us in Genesis 
God says, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. Genesis 6.18. The flood comes. Noah and his family live on the ark for about a year, floating around on the waters. The waters of the flood subside. The ark lands on a mountain. Noah and his family come out of the ark. They depart the ark. And the first thing they do is worship. And in their worship, guess what they do? They offer sacrifice. And guess what? When God told Noah to assemble the animals that would come to him, he said, take seven of every clean animal. God prepared for them to be able to sacrifice those animals when they came off the ark. Genesis 8, 20 and 21. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. This was the renewal of the covenant through sacrifice, through worship that involved sacrifice. There are many other examples of this in the scripture. God did a very similar thing with Abraham. It's recorded for us. The entire 15th chapter of Genesis talks about this. <coughs> Excuse me. So it's through sacrifice that we draw near to God. The Hebrew word offer. So we go back up to Leviticus chapter 1. And he says, when you bring your offering, bring your offering from the herd or the flock. That's implying that when the worshiper comes, he's bringing an animal. From the herd, a bull. From the flock, a ram. This word, this Hebrew word for offer, is a word which means to draw near. This is what this word means, draw near. The word translated, our English word offering, is a word in the original language that means to draw near. So worshiping, sacrificing is all about drawing near to God. When could Moses draw near to God? When God called him, that's exactly right. He didn't just say, oh, I think I'm going to just go right on into that tabernacle as the cloud of glory was there. No, he could not enter it. I think I'll go up to that mountain and see what that fire's doing up there. Now, he went when God called him to come. And so the offering means to draw near, to be drawn near. So we offer our sacrifice, and we are drawn near to God. You might say, but animal sacrifices are done away with now with the coming of Christ. And you are absolutely correct. I'm not talking about you offering animals, obviously. Animal sacrifices are completely abolished in Christ, but sacrifice, listen to me, church, sacrifice has not been abolished. Sacrifice remains an integral part of our worship. It is still the way we are drawn 
near to God. The sacrifices we offer now to God are not animals, but ourselves. For example, the writer of Hebrews talks about the sacrifice of praise we offer to God by Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually, by him, by who? That's Jesus. By him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. In Christ, we are to continually offer sacrifices to God. In Christ, we are now the living royal priesthood. We are now the living temples. We are now the very living sacrifices that are being offered up to God in worship. With Christ, we are the fulfillment of all that the animal sacrifices offered in the tabernacle and the temple represented. The animals offered in the tabernacle represented the people who offered them. Now, we'll get more into this as we continue on in this series, but this was Israel's problem. They forgot what they were doing when they would bring their offering to the Lord. They forgot what was being represented there. They weren't just giving an animal to God. They were giving themselves to God. When the worshiper slaughtered that animal, when, and it was the worshiper who was to... We'll go in and read this later on, not today, but later on. We'll see this in Leviticus chapter 1. In these first seven, it's, it says the worshiper is the one who's going to kill the burnt offering. The worshiper is the one who's going to skin the burnt offering. And the worshiper is the one who's going to quarter the burnt offering. It didn't remain that way, but if you read Leviticus chapter 1, and you read about the burnt offering, that's what's presented there. And Israel forgot. They forgot what their offerings and their sacrifices represented. It represented them who needed to be sacrificed to the Lord for their sin. But God is graceful. And he took a substitute instead and allowed the blood of that animal to cover their sin. And in his grace, he forgave them and cleansed them in spite of their sin. The same he does with us in Jesus. So the animals offered in the tabernacle represented the people who offered them. We no longer have animals offered to represent us. We now offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This language of the tabernacle and temple and of the sacrifices and offerings presented to the Lord are throughout the New Testament. This phrase here, your reasonable service, is about your reasonable liturgy, your reasonable order or act of worship. It's talking about a worship service. Who's the sacrifice in that worship service? You are. You are to present your body a living sacrifice. You're the priest who presents it to God. You're the priest who sacrifices it to God. It's an amazing picture. The Old Testament imagery, the Old Covenant imagery throughout 
is throughout the Old Testament pointing us to the ultimate fulfillment in Christ and in his church. So this truth is brought out by the writer of Hebrews. So listen to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 8 through 10. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic. What was? The tabernacle that was still standing was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with food and drink, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. What happened at the time of Reformation? Jesus came and the veil of his flesh was rent and opened the way for us to come to the very holiest of holies, to the very presence of God. So Hebrews 9.9 shows us that all of the tabernacle, its furnishings, all of its sacrifices and offerings, those were all symbolic for the present time. Now it's no longer the blood of bulls and goats, but the precious blood of the Lamb of God. That is the blood that washes and cleanses us from all of our sin. Now we no longer bring animals, we bring ourselves as living sacrifices. We continually offer up the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. God's covenant of grace is established with us by the blood of Jesus, shed from his body, broken for us on the cross. And through sacrifice, God renews the covenant in our worship of him, in our service to him, and in his service to us. We're not just serving God. God is serving us. We're not here without God. We can't even come without God. We can't do anything without God. The liturgy of the church is intimately connected, therefore, with sacrifice. What we do every week is connected to sacrifice. The pattern we follow is the pattern found in the tabernacle. And that's why we do what we do the way we do it, because we're trying to conform to that pattern that, that, has so been, that is so clearly seen in the New Testament scriptures. As they make reference to this constantly. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. Even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service. That word service there in Hebrews 9.1 is where we get our word liturgy. It is the same word found in Romans 12.1 that speaks of our reasonable service. Our reasonable order of worship, or we could say it like this, our reasonable liturgy. The liturgy of the church is intimately connected with sacrifice, and the pattern of our worship comes from the pattern of offering sacrifices to God in the tabernacle. God created that order or that liturgy, and he commanded Moses to follow it precisely. And when it was not, bad things happened to those who took it upon themselves to go another way from the way God told them to go. God will not be mocked. He wasn't then and he will not now. 
And again, I'm going to remind you what I said last week. I'm not saying we have the perfect. We don't. I'm not saying we do everything right. We don't. But I do believe this. I believe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be striving to conform as closely as she can to the Scripture, to what is revealed to us in the Scripture. And that does not mean, let me just say this, because the early church didn't worship in church buildings, we shouldn't worship in a church building. No, that's not what I'm talking about. The only reason the early church didn't worship in church buildings that they built is because they didn't have any resources to build them with. But as soon as they did, guess what they did? They built buildings, and rightly so. They built buildings in which they would worship God in those buildings and offer Worship in spirit and in truth. And made centers of worship for the body to assemble together to offer up that worship to God. That liturgy of the tabernacle was to foreshadow the ultimate fulfillment of all the sacrifices, all the offerings fulfilled in Christ and in his church. We no longer bring animals in worship to God. We bring ourselves, knowing that Christ has made the way for us, right? Christ is no longer being offered up a sacrifice for us. This is why we disagree with the Catholics on communion. We don't believe every week Christ's body is offered up as a sacrifice again. No. He did that once and for all. We believe in the, 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 the Catholic the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, and since that we believe in the universal church of all believers, past, present, and future, we also believe that as we worship and we ascend in that worship, we're worshiping with that cloud of witnesses around the throne of glory. We're all worshiping together. That's part of the mystery and the wonder of our worship. But Jesus, make no mistake, has been sacrificed once for all. We're not offering him up again on the cross or on the altar. Absolutely not. That is heretical. He was offered up once for all. We, though, we, his body, on the other hand, are to be offering continually, the Bible says, the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks. And we are commanded to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices in worship to God. This is especially true on the Lord's Day worship. In our worship, we are drawn up into His presence just as the smoke of the burnt offering ascended to Him as a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, I want to say this. Sometimes we, we, we make light, not of God, but you, know, you, you might hear me say, God invented barbecue, and, and I believe He did. Um, we don't believe that the Lord is not literally smelling the sweet aroma of smoking meat. That's not what the scripture is saying. This is a metaphor for the Lord being pleased with his people as they worship him in spirit and in truth. The Lord being pleased with his people as they worship. Now fulfilled as we worship the Father in Christ by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The corporate expression 
of our worship as his body is essential. When we talk, remember, about this personal relationship, and we are so focused on our personal relationship with Jesus that we exclude the corporate relationship. And I want to submit to you that we have no personal relationship if we are not functioning in the corporate body. Any more than any member of my body can have a relationship with this body if it's severed from it. It can't function as part of the body. It can't function as designed if it is by itself. It must be part of the corporate body. This is how God designed us. It's how he designed worship. So the corporate expression of our worship as his body is essential. We have no personal worship if we're not functioning in the body, offering up the corporate worship of his body, assembled together on the appointed day we call the Lord's Day. The day the Bible calls the Lord's Day. On that day, we offer up our corporate worship involving each individual member in the covenant relation to God. That worship of sacrifice and offering is renewing the covenant God has with his people individually and corporately. We are serving him as he is serving us. In that corporate worship, we are to teach We are to each offer ourselves as living sacrifices, for that is our reasonable act of worship, that or literally our reasonable liturgy of worship. We are living sacrifices, but we are not safe from the knife. So let's go back to the picture of the offering being brought to the tabernacle. Remember, God says, Whenever you bring an offering, bring an offering from the herd or from the flock. In other words, bring your animal. What's going to happen to that animal? Well, it's going to die. That's what's going to happen to it. When a sacrifice was offered, it was brought living to be sacrificed and offered up to the Lord on an altar of fire. It's no different for us now. Listen to the words of the writer of Hebrews as he uses the imagery of the sacrifice being offered up to God in the tabernacle. I got like this epiphany when I read this verse as I've been studying through this. It's like, how did I never see this before? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, a scripture many of you probably are very familiar with. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word sword here should not evoke the image of a weapon of war. That's not not what's being pictured here. What you should picture in reality is a butcher knife. Now, if you've ever been to my house, maybe you haven't seen that. Somebody came to my house for the first time and 
I don't know how they noticed it, but they noticed all the cast iron hanging everywhere. And I said, oh, wow, you got a lot of cast iron. You collect cast iron. Yes, I do. Well, I also have two knife blocks because I like knives. And I have a whole drawer full of knives in my bedroom. But I have a knife that I bought at a estate sale. I think it was. Now maybe I bought that in Arkansas at an antique shop. And it's, it's, it's called a scimitar. It, it, it could be a small sword. You know what that scimitar, it's a butcher knife. It was owned by a butcher, and he sold his estate, and this was his scimitar. It's a Hinkle's, wooden handle, it's a classic. You can't just use that. You're not going to chop, you know, chives with the scimitar. What you're going to use a scimitar for is to break down a big animal. And what do you need that scimitar for? You need it to cut that animal, to quarter it. This is what is happening here. This is what the Word of God does. We're going to revisit this scripture later when we talk about consecration. But I wanted to bring this out to you right now because the sword here is not a weapon of war. It is a butcher knife. And the That knife, that sword, that knife is designed to break down a large animal to be restructured and presented in its proper order on the altar so that it can be transformed by fire and ascend to the presence of God. The sacrifice that was brought, it wasn't meat that went up to God so he could have some brisket. That sacrifice that was brought was restructured, it was quartered, it was chopped up, it was placed in order, it was put on the altar of fire, and it was transformed from flesh and bone to smoke. It was a burnt offering. That fire of the altar transformed that offering. And this is what worship does for us. Worship should restructure us, worship should part us, worship should expose us, worship should reveal all the things that need to be revealed about us, and then we need to be repositioned, restructured, put in our proper place, in our proper order, right there on the altar of fire, and we need to be burnt up, and we need to ascend to God, having been transformed by the fire of His glory. That's what worship does. Now, you might not feel like that's what it does, but when you come here each week, that's what happens. You say, well, man, I don't feel that, Pastor Jeff. It ain't about what you feel. It's about faith. It's about what God's Word declares. And that's why you need to be in a place that is seeking to faithfully worship, not that they get everything right. There are no perfect churches, no perfect pastors, no perfect ways except God's way. And we are fallen enough that we have a hard time following his way. But that doesn't mean we don't seek after his way. So we'll talk much more about this process in later sermons as we go through this series. But suffice it to say that we are changed and transformed whether we feel it or not. When we offer our bodies as living sacrifices and worship to God, and we, as we continually offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, this pictures what happens spiritually as we worship the Lord. We're brought near 
in our offering. Remember that word offering means to be brought near. We're brought near in our offering. We're slain in the grace of his cross. The cross is the instrument by which he slays us. He kills us. And we're broken down and we're put in order on the altar to be transformed by the fire of his Holy Spirit and made to ascend holy, acceptable into his glorious presence. That's what worship does every week. We participate in it. And every week you don't participate in it, you're not being transformed. You're not ascending, transformed into his presence. Now in Christ, our worship of the Father in spirit and truth transforms us by the glorious and powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Without sacrifice, without offering of our bodies as living sacrifices, including the fruit of our lips, we have no worship. For he does not draw near to us in any other way. And we do not draw near to him any other way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let us prepare to come to the table. So we have, we have offered up the burnt offering. And the grain offering's been applied. And after that comes... In the order of sacrifices offered to God comes the peace offering, the fellowship offering. You don't eat from the burnt offering because it's all burned up. But the peace offering, you eat from that. And that's why this table represents the peace offering. Our peace with God made possible through Jesus Christ offered up for us in our stead. But we have been given the privilege to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices, to be transformed by his holy fire and rise and enter the very presence of God. Wow, what an amazing, what an amazing work of grace that has been done on our behalf. If you are not trusting in Jesus, trust in Jesus because there is no hope other than Jesus. And don't be content to think that you know Jesus. You press into Jesus and make sure that you know Jesus knows you. So Christian, as you trust in Jesus, come to the table. Welcome. Welcome to Jesus, to his body, and to his blood. Please stand for your charge, for your commissioning, as God sends us out into this world to be salt and light. <clears throat> Worship involves sacrifice, and you are that sacrifice now offered up to God in worship. God relates to us in covenant, and covenant involves sacrifice at its very core. Sacrifice is how God has chosen to renew his covenant with us. Each week we assemble for worship. We participate in covenant renewal. That worship has a form the Bible calls a liturgy. God, not man, established that form of worship. The form of our worship is patterned after the form of worship God commanded for his tabernacle. And worship in the tabernacle always pointed us to Jesus, the Lamb of God slain for our sins. That is not all, though. 
It also pointed to our sacrifice, our living sacrifice, each and every animal sacrificed in the temple and in the tabernacle represented the worshipers who offered those animals. And those animals, therefore, represented people. Now we are the people of God, not offering animals, but offering ourselves as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God. The scripture teaches that That is our reasonable act of worship, our reasonable liturgy. And offering ourselves to God as living sacrifices, the covenant we have with God in Christ is renewed. That continuous renewal of the covenant is not for God's sake. It's for our sake. We are the ones who struggle with faithfulness, not God. That is why the Lord commands us to not forsake assembling together for worship, because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows we need the constant covenant reminder and the constant covenant renewal so that we will continue faithfully in the covenant relationship we have in him through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Your worship on the Lord's day, therefore, is vital It means that God commands your transformation. It is the means by which God commands our transformation. You do not worship to secure your ticket to heaven. Jesus has already done that. You worship to be transformed for God's glory and so to transform the world for His glory from generation to generation, world without end. Amen? Let's sing our thanks to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you.